To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. It's in the Scottish government's interest, not just to protect, obviously, public services, but also to show further divergence from the rest of the UK. It does show the sort of strain that the market is under this winter. The other factor playing into all this is Brexit. Neither political party will even contemplate relaxing EU migration. This is the elephant in the room, isn't it? You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Welcome to the programme. So we've just had a really big guest in the building, the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt. He gave a speech about half an hour long to an audience uh, in the building at Bloomberg's headquarters. Really very interesting. Then Anna Edwards sat down and did an interview with him afterwards. Some of the key lines, we need optimism, Ewan. Declinism about Britain is just wrong. Yeah, for ease, enterprise, education, employment and uh, everywhere, which is basically levelling up. So not really four E's, more like three E's and an L, but then it would have been an eel. Jokes about being slippery. Yeah, maybe they're not mm. good to go down that path. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think that the crux of it was that it wasn't really a policy speech uh, in the mm. sense that there wasn't any new money announced, that it was uh, kind of quite long on optimism, on advertising Britain as a great place to do business and invest. Um, but he said, you know, the main uh, thrust of government uh, tax policy, for example, won't come until the budget. We need lower taxes, he said, but sound money must come first. Of course, you remember the big policy speech, the big famous policy speech at a Bloomberg building oh, 10 years ago now, and that was by... Uh, David Cameron announcing a policy which didn't turn out quite as he expected. Are you talking about Brexit? No, look, I don't think this speech is going to go down in history quite in the way that that one did. But of course, still worth understanding what the Chancellor has to say. Well, Caroline, when the UK becomes the next Silicon Valley, you could be proved wrong. (laughs) OK, have a listen to what Jeremy Hunt had to tell us here at Bloomberg. At the moment, we don't have the headroom for major tax cuts. But if I was going to prioritise where I would like to see tax cuts. Um, It would be business tax cuts that give us, as I said in the speech, uh, uh, even more competitive tax rates. It's important to say, Anna, we have the second lowest business taxes as a proportion of GDP amongst major countries. So the UK Mm. uh, is already very competitive, um, but we want to do better. And we recognise that taxes are part of the incentive structure that companies uh, react to when they decide where to invest. And my message this morning is very simple. If I was choosing where to invest uh, out of all the different places you can go in the world, when you look at Britain's strengths in uh, green industries, in creative industries, in life sciences, in technology, I would choose Britain. Okay, so you want to incentivise investment in Britain. The, The truth, though, in recent years is that investment has been lagging behind the G7 average, and not just the G7 average, but all members of the G7. So what can you do to try and close that gap? You've ruled out big tax cuts, so what are the levers that you would look to be pulling? Well, I talked about uh, the four pillars uh, of my plan to improve our productivity. And if we deliver on that, if we become the most productive 
as well as the most entrepreneurial country in Europe, I think we're already the most entrepreneurial, but this would make us the most productive, then I think that will make a very compelling case for investment. And that's why um, I outlined the plan. I think we've got a very exciting vision. I think we have the opportunity with our universities, our financial services, and our technology strengths to be a Silicon Valley. And um, I think that if I can make that happen, then I think this is the place people and are going to want to invest. that's what you to to make a new Silicon Valley here. So are you looking at specific tax reliefs? Because, of course, uh, the super deduction runs out. This is, these are the kind of things that businesses want to, want to look ahead to. Can they, can they hope for that in March? I think, as I say, it is unlikely we will have the headroom to do that. What businesses want, they do want uh, to cut business taxes. Who wouldn't? I wanted that when I was running my own business. Um, but Bob, businesses want even more than lower taxes is stability. Mm. And inflation is a fundamental thread of instability in the economy. It, uh, it's a worry for households. It stops them spending. Um, and it puts off businesses from investing. So the first thing we have to do is the Prime Minister's plan to halve inflation. Uh, that is going to require patience and discipline. Uh, when we are able to, no one wants to cut taxes more than I do, mm-hmm. but we have to recognise this is the priority for business as well as consumers right now. It's one of, it is one of the priorities that you've listed as a government. The US obviously worried about inflation there. They brought in their Inflation Reduction Act. Big subsidies in some shape or form for various industries there. You've said this morning that some elements of that policy worry you. Your colleague Grant Shapps described the policy as dangerous. What is it that worries the UK government about this policy? Well, we think that if we're going to have the transition to net zero, um, we should uh, benefit from free and open trade uh, between all the countries that share that ambition, because that will mean we'll get there more quickly, uh, more cost effectively than if we go it alone. Um, So we do have concerns, but we're also very optimistic that the UK will play a leading role in that clean energy transformation. Um, We get 40% of our electricity from renewables. Uh, We are second largest in Europe, the largest when it comes to offshore wind. Will we do our own subsidies, though? Well, um, we will announce our plans. I have absolutely no doubt that we will be able to present a package that makes us highly competitive. Um, But I don't think subsidy is necessarily the best way. I think what people want is creativity, innovation, Mm. ideas, a climate, uh, a regulatory structure that encourages investment. And if you just look, Anna, at the transformation that we've had in the last 10 years since we started moving away from carbon to renewables, uh, we've done it without those huge subsidies. The US has got a bit of catch up to do because they had an administration that was very skeptical on climate change. Um, I think there's a way that the UK can do very well. Uh, Is there not a danger, though, that we get squeezed in the middle of some kind of subsidy war? If the Americans throw $400 billion at this, if the Europeans are thinking about throwing 300 billion euros at this, how does the UK on its own stand up? Well, I think it's the wrong way to look at Britain right now to say we're so small and other places are so big. Because when it comes to innovation, nimbleness is a very big advantage and we have the opportunity to do things differently quickly uh, with new regulatory structures they can make a massive difference to investment in clean energy Um, the meetings i've had since becoming chancellor i've heard of a a wall of money that is waiting to invest in uk clean energy and we just need to make sure that we 
unlock the barriers that are stopping mm. that happening. Part of the conversation we're having around subsidies is, of course, because we live in fast-changing geopolitical times and we seem to be shifting from a world that suited Britain, a, global, a very global world, a world of globalisation, to a world that is more multipolar. How does that sit with the UK's strategy? I, I would say that the change that we're seeing in the world is one that is a worry for not just Britain but for all democracies because we're seeing uh, the rise of more assertive autocracies who don't share our values um, and who tend to have a more mercantilist attitude to trade than we do. Um, and we need to work together with people who share the same values to try and stop that happening. And I think we're more than doing our, our share of that in terms of our contribution to the defence of Ukraine. Um, and that's important for business too. You've talked about this not being the time for big tax cuts, but we understand that there are members of your own party that are still calling for tax cuts. Uh, would it be idiotic to expect tax cuts at a time like this? We don't have the headroom And I for... ask it that way, of course, because the Prime Minister said that uh, the British people are not idiots and that they are not expecting to see tax cuts. So, Well, I think people do understand that we're in a very challenging fiscal situation, that the things haven't changed dramatically over the last three months since we delivered the autumn statement, which is only two months ago. We shouldn't expect there to be a huge change in the situation. Uh, but what I was saying today in my comments was that I recognise that lower taxes are part of the vital incentives that encourage people to set up businesses and to invest, and we want to go there. And the difference between us and the Labour Party is that Conservatives bring down taxes when they can. Labour never does. And there is a fundamental difference in our positions. So, Anna, Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, was in the building. He gave a major speech this morning. Then that was your interview, your one-on-one -on -one with him. What's your main takeaway then from what the Chancellor had to say? Mm, I thought it was really interesting, uh, the comments on the Inflation Reduction Act in the US. Right. So, for those not familiar, this is the big policy of incentives, uh, subsidies, if you like, that the US is going to provide to clean energy, to chip companies and others, to encourage investment. Now, the Europeans are really worried about this and they're coming forward with their own plans. So if the US throws $400 billion at subsidies, if the Europeans throw maybe 300 billion euros at subsidies, what kind of firepower does the UK have to try and compete on its own up against those big guys? And that was the nature of, uh, of, of, of the conversation that interested me. His answer, as we heard, was it's about being nimble and sometimes that's actually a positive and it's about offering a suite of other things to attract investment into the UK. There wasn't a lot of detail, was there, in the speech? In fairness, he did say that um, it was going to be a framework, and, and I think mm. that it, th there really wasn't a lot of detail in there, was there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, looking ahead to the budget, you know, maybe we'd expect to hear a little bit more, and I think he, in fact, said that in the speech earlier, that come the budget, there will be more detail, more fleshing out of what he was talking about in this plan. But one key bit of detail that I was trying to get out of him, and I think hopes are maybe dashed for this, is around specific tax reliefs, because mm. he said there's no room for big tax cuts, and we we know we are not all idiots and we're not expecting uh, big tax cuts. But at the same time, corporation tax is going up a lot, six percentage points in April. And if you want to incentivize investment, what are you going to offer to business? A lot of businesses have been calling for specific tax reliefs on particular industries. It didn't sound as if we're going to get a lot of that in the budget. Yeah, the problem is, I mean, the government doesn't really have a lot of money to throw around. We know that the budget is coming and mm. Hunt was sort of careful to say, um, kind of not giving anything away. Yes about the, the budget issue, but the government doesn't have 
have money yeah. to do much. I mean, there is some better news in the sense that gas prices are not as high as they were anticipated to be. And so uh, that means that the government doesn't have to backstop the economy on gas prices quite so much. But that could also be a negative because lower energy prices mean a lower tax take from big energy companies. And there's plenty of other bad news, of course, around strikes, around the debt servicing costs that they're having to pay. We had a scoop earlier on this week showing the OBR is going to reduce the long-term productivity assessment of the UK economy. So there's going to be a lot of negatives in the budget as well. Um, Okay, so that's all the content of the speech and the interview that you did. But just the Chancellor was in the building. Mm. I'd be very interested just your impressions of the whole day, as it were. And this was rolled out as a big kind of government yeah. event. Yeah, absolutely. This was a number of government departments meeting here to bring together. And they seem to be talking very much to a tech audience. They were talking to mm. senior executives from tech and other figures from the financial services industry. They were trying to appeal to them. It brought together the Treasury, uh, Bays, the business department, also culture, digital, media, sport. Uh, so a lot of government activity taking place here trying to talk to tech. What I found really interesting was two of the speakers in the building today started their speeches having referenced their use of chat GPT. This is clearly going to be the speech starter <laughs> of choice for every single speech writer in 2023. So I thought I'd just say, you know, brace yourselves for that. Hang on a lot s- of more chat about chat. <laughs> I know, but the thing is, it almost was, I think it's hilarious. We are talking about education in the next part of the programme. So perhaps they're giving some pointers to students out there, how to have your speech <laughs> written for you, how to have your yeah, exam sure. paper what the lesson, written for What's you? the lesson you're supposed to take yes. from that? Well, I think the script writing bots are coming, so that's that, that's my fear. We're all, well, all going to be out of a job. Yeah. Anna, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for bringing us that interview uh, with the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, one of Jeremy Hunt's four E's from the speech and the interview that he did here at Bloomberg was education. But will industrial action by teaching unions, which actually begins within days, uh, scupper those big ambitions, the gap between ambition and delivery for the government? Dan Moynihan, Chief Executive of the Harris Federation, which runs 52 primary and secondary schools in London and Essex. Dan, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg UK Politics. I want to get into some of the wider education issues a little bit later on. But first, let's talk about the uh, big issue of the moment, the teachers' strikes uh, set to begin, of course, um, next week. What, what for you running a big chain of academies in London is likely to be the impact on, on, on students' education? Um, all of our schools will be open in some form and we'll be prioritising the education of children who are uh, in exam groups, 
upper six, year 13, year 11 for GCSE and year six for primary, along with uh, special needs, vulnerable children and the children of key workers. Many of our schools will have all children in. Some will be reduced to those key groups, but um, we'll be open for business. Okay, but feeling and... is strong among the teaching profession. There's no doubt about that. Dan, the industrial action, oh, how do you assess teacher morale? Is it really that bad? Is it about pay or work pressures? What is driving this? I, th I think it's a question of supply and demand. There is a shortage of teachers. Government targets for teacher recruitment have failed to be met regularly in recent years. This year's target to recruit 23,000 teachers, well, only 12,000 were recruited. <clears throat> Government's fallen short by um, nearly 59%. And that means that we have a shortage of teachers, but we also have teachers who aren't best qualified teaching subjects. So across the country, one in eight pupils are now taught by taught maths by teachers who are not specialist maths teachers. <clears throat> so one issue is um, there's a shortage of teachers, which reflects the fact that pay uh, has not kept up with um, the cost of living, not not just since inflation has been a problem, but but since 2010, uh, teachers' salaries, according to the Institute for Fiscal Studies, are down in real terms by 13%. Um, that coupled with um, accountability in schools is very important. And Ofsted, for example, inspection is very important. But the criteria by which schools inspect regularly change every few years and, and, and lead to unnecessary bureaucracy and stress in schools. So I think it's a combination of that with a decline in real term salary and the fact that, um, like in the NHS, there's a real issue with supply and demand and, and a shortage of teachers across the country and particularly in urban areas. If we fix the pay problem, we give teachers a, a pay rise, at least compensating for inflation. Does that go quite a long way to, to solving the problem or are these work pressures which teachers often talk about, are they... Are they worse than they than they used to be, or is it just a sort of something that's been going on for a long time? I I, I think as a there's often change in education, change in curriculum, change in uh, exam uh, syllabuses, change in requirements from Ofsted, and all of this leads to a kind of <clears throat> all of this leads to a kind of background music, which adds unnecessary stress. And quite frankly, in, in many professions, people don't experience so much constant change, which quite frankly, isn't, nece isn't necessarily productive change. So mm. there needs to be, uh, and, and it's really difficult because we know that uh, public sector debt is, is, is at an all time record. Uh, <clears throat> we know that core inflation is still high, but this service can only be delivered if more teachers come forward. And that will require more pay, but it will also require reforms to reduce unnecessary burdens in the classroom. I think it's interesting that you talk about um, so many maths teachers across the country or teachers who are teaching maths not being 
expert in that field. Um, I mean, Rishi Sunak talked about this very issue in a recent recent speech, the need to focus on maths education. Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, gave a speech right here in the building that I'm sitting in, our Bloomberg headquarters in London. He talked about Singapore-style education, the nine million adults uh, who have poor literacy and poor numeracy. Is the focus on maths the answer is that the biggest priority now i mean it's a good priority other countries um do educate people to at least 18 in mathematics and we have a fair number of people in this country country who are functionally illiterate in maths in terms of coping with day-to-day mathematics so it's a worthy and a good aim critics have criticized it because they've said well it's not the top priority and also there aren't the maths teachers to deliver it well um it's a good priority if we're going to be as competitive as some of our uh, international partners then people need a better maths education and there are ways to deliver it involving technology and the use of the internet which could help but clearly there are bigger problems at the moment in terms of a shortage of teachers so we've got at harris 52 successful schools in London, they're oversubscribed, most of them are outstanding, they deliver great results. You'd think it would be easy for us to attract staff. We regularly have to go to Jamaica where there's a surplus of teachers and we bring over each year probably 50 Jamaicans to teach in shortage subjects like sciences and maths. They're good people with good subject knowledge, but it shouldn't be the case that in London we have to do that to find staff. Dan, you mentioned there's been a lot of change in education. Well, something which could herald a change is the general election due in uh, no more than two years' time. Labour have been clear that there will be changes to uh, policy on academies uh, and at least some restrictions to your to your freedoms, uh, at, at least. Is, is a Labour government a threat to, to the academy model? Um, I, I've not been able to establish precisely yet what, what the detail of their policy is. Um, clearly, uh, you know, the old style was local authorities had a monopoly of schools. They regulated their schools and they also um, judged the quality of them. So they marked their own homework. The purpose of the academies movement was to have independent, non-fee-paying state schools um, uh, where where local authorities would be able to, to comment and criticise, but wouldn't be marking their own homework. And that's been successful in many places. It's not a panacea. It hasn't worked everywhere, but standards have gone up over time and many failing schools have been improved. And that's because uh, head teachers have a degree of autonomy. Um, those of us in the sector would be fearful of seeing that autonomy removed or reduced and therefore we're we're wary of that but but labor haven't really spelt out yet the detail of their education policy they've talked about other important things like improving early years education which clearly is a priority many people can't afford uh child care mm. and as a supply side reform to improve the competitive competitiveness of our economy we do want more people to be able to work and to train for work and more extensive and universal childcare would be a good thing. So they've talked about that, and Labour have also talked about improving the range of extracurricular issues. But the kind of full guts of what they intend to do uh, with the school structures is, is, is not clear yet. 
Um, if you could um, wave a magic wand and have the strike issue resolved, what would what would you like to see from government in terms of a deal with the unions? I, it, it would be great if we could get past this. And I do understand the difficulty of, of, of public sector debt and the worry that inflation won't come down if there are a series of rises. But the fact is, if you look at these two areas, NHS and education, supply and demand are not working. The salaries are not competitive enough. And these are great public services on which the majority of the UK population depend. So um, uh, uh, okay. a, a rise, a rise uh, in some form that's more than 5% will solve this problem, whether that includes a one-off payment uh, or whether it involves public sector pensions are very generous. They're, they're much more generous than the private sector. That doesn't help teachers who are paying their mortgage or their rent now. One way might be to allow people to have uh, less good pension and take more salary now. That's a possibility. Government okay. has also talked about paying more in shortage areas. That's a possibility. So that was Dan Moynihan, the chief executive of the Harris Foundation, which runs schools in London and Essex. I thought very interesting to get his view on what he thought the government needs to do in terms of delivering pay for teachers. Yeah, interesting that he says that uh, one way of tackling this, and it has been mentioned before, but it will be controversial, is to slightly unpick uh, the pensions, the the very gold-plated pensions which many public sector workers get, and perhaps that would be a way of freeing up money to give teachers uh, a bigger pay award. But I think that would be... Uh, very controversial uh, amongst teachers and they won't want to go down that particular path. No, but um, he underlined that the issue is about the lack of workers, the lack of staff, you know, the the deficit that there is in hiring teachers in the UK, the very same problem that the NHS has. Um, he was sounding not entirely happy, really, not that supportive of government. And yet also when it comes to Labour, saying that Labour Labour's policy on education isn't yet clear either. Yeah, he was very blunt about that, really. He said that he hasn't really seen much detail on uh, mm. academies. Labour have said broadly that there will be changes to the academy system. But uh, uh, Dan Moynihan, uh, not clear about what those changes will be. Mm, OK, uh, that's it uh, from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so that other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. Well, this episode was produced by James Walcock and Marie Fall Hussain was on sound. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Caroline Hepger. We'll be back with more on Monday. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.